All right. Second Timothy, second chapter, first verse. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the thing that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not one engaged, no one engaged in warfare entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Father, your word is powerful. And Father, as your word has gone forth, Lord, we ask that it accomplish that for which you purposed it. Lord, may the anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon it. May each one of us have something very special. May we understand what's being written here and, and which, what is being said here. God, we need the Holy Spirit to show us, to teach us. And so we ask for the anointing to rest upon each one of us, and especially on this pastor as this word goes forth now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here before us, we have outlined two things, the reception and the transmission of the word of God. Uh, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, the reception of the faith is founded on two things, hearing and transmitting, or witnessing. Um, it's not only a privilege to receive the Christian faith, but it's our duty to witness, to transmit it. Every Christian must look on himself as a, as a link in a chain. It's a non-broken chain that goes all the way from the disciples down through the present time. And it passes the word on from generation to generation to generation. And the only way this chain can be unbroken is by having men and women who are dedicated to transmitting the faith to others, to passing the faith along. We also find here three famous metaphors 
we find that the teacher is a uh, soldier, the teacher is an athlete, and the teacher is a farmer, or a husbandman, it says in the King James, same thing. So let's look, first of all, at the teacher as a soldier. I guess of all the metaphors here, I am probably most acquainted with this particular one. Uh, I know Ron is. Uh, he's from out here at the base. No one wants to fight alongside someone who is, uh, you just can't trust. You don't want to fight alongside someone that they run out on you just when you need them. You've got to be able to trust your, your fellow man, and especially during combat. And the soldier must uh, follow orders. I, I can't think of anything uh, any more devastating than uh, you're in charge of a platoon or something and there's a machine gun nest that you need to need to take and you give the order and they all stand there and uh, quibble about well you know I might get hurt if I go up there uh, and they decide well I, I let's take a vote on it no that's not the way it's done uh, a soldier must learn to follow orders and that's what boot camp is all about I remember in 1954 I uh, came into Geneva by Greyhound bus and uh, I got off at the Greyhound station over there and uh, an Air Force bus picked me up and uh, took me out to Sampson uh, to the reception center there and I no more than got off the bus and they put a, a mop in my hand. I wasn't expecting this, you know. I was a rebellious young man and uh, uh, this was women's work and uh, they said I want this this whole area here mopped and um, boy that was that was humbling to start out I thought what kind of a thing have I gotten myself into and then they line you up and they they tell you how rotten you are and <laughs> And uh, he got right in front of me and he looked at me and he said, I can see where I'm going to have trouble with you. <laughs> and I couldn't figure that out for the life of me. But, uh, you know, they want to make sure that they have someone that's going to follow orders. If you're not going to follow orders, let's get them out in the beginning. That was the whole idea. He who is faithful over little or over least is faithful over much, it tells us in Luke 16.10. Uh, also, soldiers are expected to endure hardships. Uh, I'm sure that Ron has many, many stories he could tell us about the hardships. Uh, I know I have. I, I spent 22 years at it. And uh, there was times when I I uh, had to live in the desert. I lived there for uh, uh, about a year. 
the nearest town was 250 miles away. Uh, there was times when water was short. Uh, I can remember a time on aboard ship that uh, uh, water, the fresh water was so short that we used it only for the boilers, turned it on long enough for the cooks to draw water for the day, and the other than that, took salt water showers out on the fantail. And, uh, oh, it was so good. You know, I began to itch afterwards, and, and uh, it was, was a, a big hardship. Uh, being a soldier is not easy. Not everyone's called to be a soldier. I, I, th I think it takes a special type of person. And there's times when uh, you're called upon to make these great sacrifices. Uh, I realized that uh, if necessary, you were to lay down your life. I, I came to that realization when they swore me in. And then right afterwards, they start making out uh, all these papers and things. And, and uh, one of the things they did was make out a will in case of death. You know, hey, you don't make those out at 18 years old unless uh, you think that there might be a chance. And the Coast Guard used to tell us, uh, you know, if you got to go out, but you don't have to come back. Here's all the other ships coming in. And, and uh, it's a raging storm out there. But we were expected to go out no matter what. The success or the failure of a mission depended on each one of us. And I believe it's the same way with God's army. The success of this mission depends on all of us. But uh, here he's talking to those who uh, are faithful men, who are able to teach. And so we're directing and we're uh, looking at teachers, especially today. Uh, people are counting on us. God is counting on us. I, I don't think he has a secondary plan. This is it. It's those who have experienced salvation telling other people about salvation. And it also says here that a soldier must not be entangled with the affairs of this life. You know, when you're in the military, you're married to the military. They tell you where to go, when to go, when to come back, when to shave, when to shower. They tell you when to eat, when to sleep. Uh, they, don't, they don't leave anything for you to wonder about. They, they got it all figured out for you. And they used to tell me, 
I'd, I'd say, well, hey, I need some time with my family. And they'd say, if we wanted you to have a family, we would have issued you one. We'd have put them in your sea bag. Uh, I didn't have much of a family life in the military uh, after I left the Coast Guard and went, after I left the Air Force and went into the Coast Guard. But what they were trying to tell me was that my first commitment was to the military. And I believe that God's army, our first commitment is to God. And that's, that's kind of hard for someone to swallow who's never made a commitment to anything, you know? But your first commitment is to God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God is depending on us as an army. It says here that the soldier's desire is to please the one who enlisted him. Verse 4. And I guess that's what all of us really want, isn't it? How many here would really like to please God? See, I, I think that's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about pleasing the one who has enlisted us. Being a soldier. Secondly, we have a metaphor here of a teacher being an athlete. Verse 5. And this is the first time Paul has used this particular metaphor. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9, we find him using the same metaphor, and it may shed a little light for us. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become a cast, uh, um, castaway, it says in the King James. Here it says disqualified. <clears throat> An athlete is a man who is disciplined, a man of self-denial, and he must keep his schedule and his training, and he can't let anything get in the way. You go one day without training, and you feel it. You go two days, and you feel it even more. And after a few days, you're so run down that you can't do what you're supposed to do. Uh, there are days when, when, a, when the athlete doesn't feel up to par. There's days when he'd like to 
drop out and relax. But he just doesn't dare to do it. There's times when he would like to indulge in some other pleasures, and, and uh, he denies himself these pleasures. He refuses to do them. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. At least I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He makes his body do what is required to win the prize. How many here have ever heard of Jim Ryan? Jim Ryan is the world's fastest miler. And uh, in his freshman year in high school, he was too frail to make the, uh, the track team. In fact, he was disqualified. And uh, so he tried again in his sophomore year. And he convinced the coach that he really had some uh, qualifications that would uh, make him a track star. He had some possibilities. And so Robert uh, Timmons, who was the coach, uh, put him on a rigorous physical and mental uh, build-up schedule. And Jim, after delivering in his newspapers in the morning, would run six miles. And uh, regardless of what the weather was, whether it was snowing or raining or sleeting or fog or whatever happened, he was out there running. And those who got up early in the morning would see uh, this young man, uh, his lonely figure, running across the prairie on the outskirts of um, Wichita. And uh, they would just shake their heads. They, they were puzzled at why this young man was uh, putting so much effort into this. But Jim took track seriously, and for a while his parents were really concerned about him because after every time he would run, he'd throw up. They were afraid that he was going to hurt himself physically. And he'd get so tired that he'd come home and he'd, he wouldn't even eat. He'd go and just fall in, into bed and go to sleep. But you know, after a while, he became the world's fastest miler. He was dedicated. He was willing to give whatever was needed to get that thing that he was looking for. See, the athlete keeps his, his eye on the goal. And his goal was, well, let's look what the goal here is. Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. 
Some of these people do it for a, for a little trophy. Some people do it for a little gold medal. They're, they're doing it for perishable things. But we're doing it for an imperishable crown. We're going for the gold. Hallelujah. We want to have this crown that when we get to, to heaven, we can throw this crown before Jesus and say, it was all Jesus. We give Jesus the glory. We have something to give. And I just would hate to show up at that time when all is around worshiping and throwing their crowns at his feet and I'd stand there and have nothing with which to give unto my Lord or even hear him say, well done. You know, that would be enough for me just to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The last metaphor we have was as a husbandman or a farmer. And I'm going to tell you right now, how many farmers do we have other than Gil? My son-in-law was here and he made it sound real good to be a farmer. I want to tell you something. I made a decision as a young boy that I was not going to be a farmer no matter what. I think that being a farmer is some of the hardest work that God ever created for man to do. They're up at the crack of dawn. They're working long hours, long after dark sometimes. My son-in-law sometimes gets as little as two or three hours sleep. I just, you know, they drive themselves. It's, I think that a good farmer almost has to be a workaholic. It always seemed to me that they had little time for anything else. When everybody else is taking a vacation, the farmer's out there doing his work. I can see Bernie going, yeah. That's the way it was, isn't it? Until he retired. There was no vacation. The farmer prepared the fields and he planted the seed. But he was completely dependent upon God. You know, without the proper amounts of sunshine and without the proper amounts of water, 
And we just went through a drought this last year. There's going to be a lot of farmers that are going to end up selling their farms. They didn't get the income they needed or they spent too much money on trying to get water to their crops. You're going to see it where farms are going to be up for sale. They didn't, they didn't make enough to be able to pay off their loans. Farmers are completely dependent on God. You know, some sow, some water, but God gives the increase. Hallelujah. And the farmer, after he plants the seed, you know, you'd think, well, there's not much to do. Just sit around and watch it grow, right? No, that's not right. The farmer has to guard his field because there's many things that would come in and try to ruin his crops. Uh, I can remember my dad fighting things like uh, blight for potatoes. Uh, there, was, uh, there was worms for the corn. There was uh, these uh, Japanese beetles. Uh, they had all kinds of things that would come in and try to uh, ruin the crops. Uh, birds, animals would uh, try to dig it up or try to eat it when it's very tender plants. Uh, weeds would try to take over. Oh, how I used to hate that. My dad had about, uh, uh, after he moved off the farm, he had a, uh, two or three acres of uh, uh, plants. Uh, kind of a truck garden, and uh, he used to put me down there to weeding. And I said to myself, I'm never going to weed when I get older. I'm <laughs> I just, I, I can't stand weeds. It's a never-ending job. You weed them one week, and the next week you got to go out and weed them all over again. It, two days later, yeah. And so there's always something that would take over. And it's the same way with the godly teacher. They have to guard over the flock that God has given them. They have to, they have to guard over the field. You know, they're in, uh, in the parable of the seed and the sower, and it talks about the heart conditions and so forth. And the teacher has to guard over the fields, over her classes. And uh, look at Galatians 4 with me. Galatians chapter 4 and uh, verse 19. My little children... For whom I labor in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You know, it isn't enough to just teach the word. There's, there's time spent in prayer. There's time spent praying and travailing over that class if that class is going to grow. If those young people are going to grow into 
uh, stout, strong Christians, this word has to be watered. It has to be, uh, has to be prayed over. It has to be protected. It seems like the old bird, the devil, is, is always right there to try to pluck the seed up. Uh, the little foxes are always right there trying to spoil the vines. The young tender plants seem to be the ones that the predators seem to go for first. And if we're going to have a church for tomorrow, it depends on our teachers for today. Now the teachers are a gift from God, as it tells us here in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, well, let's start with verse 9. Start back for the night. We'll start with seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, I, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Drop down to verse 11. We find out what those gifts are. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we find by looking over at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28, that God has appointed these into the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Teachers are appointed by God. They are God's gift to the church. And I think that we do a disservice if we don't recognize our teachers. I think this church has been blessed with godly teachers, with those who have answered the call and those who are willing to sacrifice, those who are good soldiers, those who are uh, like a good athlete, they're willing to go the distance, those that are also as, as a farmer who are uh, looking over their fields, they're working hard. They're, they're really dedicated. Now, the, the song says it about the best that I can say it. It says, passing the faith along. And I'm going to have Bobby pr play that kind of uh, low in the background as our Sunday school superintendent comes and we recognize our teachers. So you need to go down and bring those Sunday school workers up so that they can 
they can be up here too. We want to recognize all of our teachers.